Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's payback time. My next guest has a number one best-selling book, The Tao of Trading, and he is the founder of a platform that teaches you how to generate ongoing revenue through options trading. He has three decades of experience in the financial markets, including senior positions at Goldman Sachs and Citibank. In this episode, we dive into the five big myths of Wall Street, how he generates 5% per month with options trading, and where this bear market is going from here. Please welcome Simon Ree. Simon, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Great to be here. Yes. Thanks for joining me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So um, I guess I've, I've been fascinated by financial markets since I was a teenager in high school. Uh, my second last year of high school was 1987, which was obviously an eventful year for the markets. We had the, the stock market crash. Yep. And I had a, an economics teacher that year who was, uh, he'd, he'd written a book on the stock market, was very passionate about it. And I, I really just, I guess, fed off his enthusiasm and his passion. And uh, I've, I've been hooked really ever since then. So after high school, uh, I went to university, studied economics and finance. And my first job outside of uni was um, working as a futures broker. So, uh, you know, we, we were doing all of the, you know, the trading places kind of stuff, pork bellies and orange juice. But uh, ultimately, mm -hmm. the, the big revenue earner was uh, wheat hedging for, for wheat farmers. I was uh, living in Australia at the time, as you can mm -hmm. tell by the accent. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as, as lucrative as that was, it was it, it didn't really uh, set me on fire the way, you know, looking at Microsoft or uh, big corporate companies did. I found it a lot more dynamic. So um, I, I left that after a few months, uh, worked for a few years as a credit analyst uh, in a corporate bank, and then uh, sort of got my break in the in the mid-90s working for, for Goldman, dealing in equities, and, mm -hmm. and uh, that's sort of what, what I've done ever since. And I, I, I kind of built my business with, within Goldman uh, around options. I, I developed a, a certain expertise around derivatives with my futures background. And um, in 2003, I moved to Sydney. 2005, I was asked to uh, head up found and head up the markets desk for Goldman in Australasia. And in that role, we were responsible for pricing and trading all of the over-the-counter equity derivatives transactions, uh, fixed income, credit, and foreign exchange as well. One thing led to another. We had the, the global financial crisis. And then uh, in 2010, I got headhunted by Citibank in Singapore and uh, came up to Singapore, which is where I'm currently based. Uh, worked for Citibank for about six and a half years. And in that role, I was working very closely with uh, a number of family offices of billionaires located throughout Australia and Asia. And I, I guess I, I got to a point in my life in my, my mid-40s where I, I, you know, maybe we call it a midlife crisis, but I I thought, what am I doing? You know, what's what's my marginal contribution to society? And I didn't really like the answers I was coming up with. So, uh, you know, I, I really, ultimately what I was doing, right, was I was spending better part of my days and weeks and months and years uh, helping people who were already incredibly wealthy uh, stay that way or become even wealthier. And I thought, look, I've, I've developed a really good skill set here in the industry. 
what I'd like to do is is put this skill set to use for people who could really benefit from it. So I, I left the corporate world behind, um, founded an online education company teaching people what I know about markets and about trading, uh, wrote a book, and uh, I guess the, the rest is history. That's that's why I'm here. Love your backstory. Thanks for breaking that down. Let's dive right into your your platform a little bit. I want to learn about the book a little bit as well. And then I've got a bunch of questions here organized, ready to go for you. Um, but yeah, what is this platform? Is it like a membership platform where you gain access to education? How does it work? Yeah, that's right. So I've got um, got, got a couple of different memberships. So I've got a, an online on-demand learning platform where people can learn all about how to trade from a technical perspective. So I, I don't deal in, in fundamentals at all. I mean, we look at things like market internals and, and so forth, but it, it's very, very technical-based, chart-based. Mm-hmm. And I take people through the real basics of, you know, what, what is a candlestick chart, what is support and resistance, uh, to going through some of the indicators that we use. And uh, I, I'm an options trader. I, I think options are not only the best way to grow your wealth quickly, but they're also the best and easiest way to manage your risk. So I teach, take people right the way through, you know, what is an option? How do you trade an option? Mm-hmm. You know, what does delta mean? What does theta mean? Uh, and I, I do it all in a very simple and engaging and accessible manner. There's no complex math. Uh, I really try and reduce the amount of terminology and jargon that's used. And, and where I do have to use it, I make sure it's thoroughly explained. And it, I, really what I do in, in the online courses is give everybody what they need to, to go through the work and become you know, become a trader, be, become a, a successful trader. Got it. In our community, we focus more on investing. So with Ticker, for example, we do look at the fundamentals. It is long-term focus. But with trading, especially options, I found it can be really high risk. You got to be careful with the strategy you use. However... I am a fan of covered calls. That is a, a safe strategy. I know there are other option strategies like it, but let's dive in a little further to what kind of strategies do you like most? So my, my favorite strategies are option spreads, whether they're debit spreads or credit spreads. And the reason I like spreads is if you enter a spread, um, one, one of the biggest problems in dealing with options, which is time decay, you know, an option has got an expiration date uh, and if the prices aren't moving in your favor, the option decays in value. But if you trade a spread, you can mitigate that, that time decay component or, or even get it working to your advantage. So I'm, right. I'm a big fan of spreads. Uh, they're also a great way to manage risk. Can you walk us through with uh, like a real life example, just so the audience can kind of understand what the spread strategy is? Yeah, sure. So if you look at a, a debit spread, for example, let's say uh, the S and P is trading at uh, I don't know where are we three hundred and sixty dollars, for example, you might buy a spread expiring in, in a month's time, twenty first of October, so slightly less than a month. Uh, with, with a you might buy a call option with a strike price of three hundred and sixty dollars, so that's roughly at the money, and you might sell a call option with a strike price of three hundred and sixty five dollars. All right, so that spread we would say is $5 wide. So that the most that that spread can be worth at expiration is $5. But if we can buy that spread today for $2, that's an attractive risk reward. All right. If you're buying something for $2 that could potentially be worth more than double, you know, $2 right. to $5 in, uh, in less than a month is, is a nice return. And of course, what we really emphasize though is, is identifying those 
high probability moments in time to enter in an options trade. We're not just doing them every day of the week. We're really waiting for very special moments in time where the probability is in our favor. Gotcha. And how do you do that? And let's say, and this is a good segue to the market. How do you do that in like a volatile market like today? Well, there are, there are, I guess, broadly two types of uh, trading strategies that I, I employ and that I teach, trend following strategies and also counter trend strategies. Now, trend following, I mean, trend following works well in any market. I'm, I'm a trend follower at heart. And I, I think uh, trend following is the easiest, safest, most intuitive way of trading. But in a market like we've seen in 2022, where, that, where it's volatile and you see very, very sharp turns and that they happen very, very quickly, uh, adding counter trend trading can be a real benefit. Counter trend is, is where you're going against the short term mm-hmm. trend. And, and you know, there, there are some very specific filters we look for to, again, identify high probability moments in time where that trend is is likely to reverse. Gotcha. Okay. And with this strategy, I want to get an idea. What kind of returns are we talking about in a portfolio over the duration of a year? Um, I know you can't guarantee anything, but yeah, historically. I mean, I, what, what I suggest to my members is that I think a, an achievable target is 5% per month. And if you compound your returns monthly, you know, you're getting up towards 80% per annum. Yeah. Now that, that sounds, I, I don't like talking about returns, especially if people haven't traded options because you throw numbers like that out there to people. And mm. usually I get one of two reactions, either that's impossible. Um, how could you be beating, you know, the best hedge funds in the world? Uh, other people say, oh, that's, that's boring. I, I'm not interested in trading and unless I can turn my $2,000 into a million dollars in six months. Um, so I, I find that people often, <laughs> they often fall in one of those two camps. Um, incidentally, the um, the top decile hedge fund manager in 2022, uh, the top decile average return for that top, top 10% is 2.3% this year. So hedge funds are not, not exactly shitting the lights out. No, no, they're not. No. And I like how you framed that up you know, some people can react like 80%. Like with ticker, for example, you know, with investing, we try to aim for between 15 and 50% per year, um, just buying solid companies. And then you keep buying them, especially like times like now when the market is down. Um, when it, what's, what's interesting about the strategy is, and very much inspired by Phil Town and then Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, when the market is doing well, you'll do well as well. But when the market is really going south, after it corrects, that's when you do make those returns that you said 80%. That you probably noticed here on video, I did not flinch at that. I'm like, okay, yep, because our our audience and then myself seen returns that have been that and higher well into in one given year, well over 100%. Um, you just got to buy when the market's going down. COVID in March of 2020 was a great example. The market went down about 30%. So I'm sure your strategy, you can do pretty well there. So but 5% a month I'm looking at, I'm like, wow, that's to do that consistently. That'd be, that'd be a feat. So I'm worth exploring maybe, but um, I, I also have seen the world of options and, and seen the risks and uh, investing to me is just, uh, it's easier to sleep at night. You could say that that's my thought at least. 
I think yeah. I think you're right. It, it's certainly easier uh, if you want to trade options. That there is there's additional effort involved both in in the mm. education piece and also in, from a, an ongoing basis. You know, there is more effort involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, let's dive into some of your questions here. Thanks for sharing uh, some of the details here on options. And I think people, if they're interested in checking out your strategies, they could go to your site, which I'll have you promote at the end of the episode. But um, why don't you talk about one of the questions here is uh, the five big myths of Wall Street. I'd love to hear this. Yeah, sure. So that's uh, chapter two of my book, which I've got I've got here. I'll just give that a, a quick plug. Yep. But um, yeah, I think um, Wall Street, it's been promoting myths to investors at large really for as long as uh, Wall Street has existed as, as a business. And the reason is Wall Street wants to earn fees on managing people's money. That's a large part of how they make, make money. They've really got no interest in people empowering themselves to look after their own finances and manage their own wealth. Uh, one of the biggest myths of Wall Street is the, this idea that 10% per annum is a fantastic return. If you talk to most uh, Wall Street firms, they'll tell you that you know how could you expect to return any more than that? You know this is a fantastic return, and look, ten percent per annum. It's look, it, it's better than sticking your money under the mattress. But ultimately, it's uh, yeah, that is approximately the long-term average annual return of the S and P five hundred. So over a market cycle, it's a return that they can probably get for you, you know, without even getting out of bed. All right, but if they can convince you that that is a great return. It's something that they can do with very little effort, very scalable, but but still charge a bunch of fees for doing. So that's that's one of the big ones. Uh, another big myth is the, this idea that uh, finance is hard and investing is difficult, mm-hmm. and it, it you know it really isn't that hard. You know, Wall Street has concocted this enormous lexicon deliberately mm-hmm. to make people feel like outsiders, to make people feel as though they've got inferior information. Um, investing. It isn't particularly difficult at all. It, it just requires some effort. Like like I said earlier, you, you do need some education, um, but it's not anywhere near as difficult as Wall Street would like you to believe. There's also this idea that uh, you know investing is the only sensible way to go, and and trading is like gambling. And I mean that's not true at all. I, I, you know people people often assume that you're an investor if you're in it for the long term. And you're a trader if you're in it for the short term. My view on that is maybe unconventional, but I don't think it's a function of time at all. It's a function of purpose. If you buy an asset with the idea that you'll be able to sell that asset at a higher price in the future, as far as I'm concerned, you're a trader. So my, by my definition, the vast majority of investors are in fact traders. The only people who really, I think, are genuine investors are those who really understand the business. They want to be involved in that business for the long term, and they want to participate in the cash flow and the profits that that business spins off over the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're checking quarterly earnings reports, you're a trader. If, if you're worried about what the Fed's going to say next week, as far as I'm concerned, you're, you, you know, you're a trader. Which brings me to another myth that uh, buy and hold is, is the only sensible strategy. You look at a year like 2022, I think that's a, a banner year that really kind of puts uh, the last nail in, in that coffin. Um, this is a year where every stock market sector is in the red now. Uh, bonds, of course, are in the red. And, and the problem is people tend to treat diversification as a, as a free lunch when it comes to risk management of their investment capital. And um, there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The, the only way to really manage a risk 
properly, I believe, is is doing it actively by hedging. Um, the thing is with diversification, it will tend to fail you right when you most need it. We saw it in 2000, we saw it in 2008, and we're seeing it this year. You know, when the proverbial hits the fan, everything starts mm-hmm. to move together, correlations converge towards one, um, and, and there's kind of nowhere to hide. And then the, one of my favorite myths that Wall Street likes to promote is that uh, higher risk equals higher returns. And yeah, we've got to sit down and, and think about what is risk. You know, risk is permanent loss of capital. Uh, it, it's losing, losing money. So what Wall Street is, is trying, to, trying to get you to swallow is this idea that uh, if you want to increase your chances of winning, you've got to first increase your chances of losing. I mean, how, how does this make any sense at all? Right. You know, the, the, the way to uh, higher returns is by managing your risk very, very carefully. Right, right. Interesting to hear that from somebody who is into trading, because I will say we are we are very focused on investing and do call ourselves investors now with traders. I, I just want to deep dive this before jumping on some other questions. Um, we do get people who they are looking for their job replacement strategy. They're sick of their job. They're sick of grinding the nine to five. And they're like, well, I want to trade stocks. I'm just going to do that. And um, I'm just going to dive in, you know, and I'm assuming your strategy, your response to that, I, I would love to hear if somebody's motivated to do that. What would you, what would you suggest? I would say uh, get educated and build up practice and build up the skill set sooner rather than later. Because if you want to quit your job next week and, and, and start slinging stocks, it's chances are you'd be uh, looking for a new job pretty soon. All right. Trading is a skill that needs to be developed. It, it's not get rich quick. And this is something people don't want to hear. Now, the returns you can make can be fantastic, but you're only going to make those returns once you've acquired the skill set. And it's um, people, you know, they're very keen to, to buy the, the latest indicator or, or, you know, buy the latest course. And, and this is a little bit like, um, you know, the amateur golfer buying a new set of golf clubs. Now, mm-hmm. you know, trading setups and indicators and those things, they are necessary in the same way that a set of golf clubs is necessary for a professional golfer. But buying an, an amazing set of golf clubs isn't going to make you an amazing golfer. You've, you've got to put the hours in. You know, you've mm-hmm. got to groove the swing. And it's, it's the same with trading. You've got to put the hours in. It, it takes practice. It's experiential. Uh, and the only way you get good at it is, is through practice. But, but mm-hmm. with practice and, and with the right techniques, yeah, you, you can make really impressive returns. And you can absolutely um, make a living from it and, and replace your job. Um, but just don't expect that to happen in a, a very short space of time. Mm-hmm. What kind of timeline do you set with your like, expectations do you set with your audience? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit how long is a piece of string. Um, I mean, my my core sort of online learning program, it's about 20 hours worth of material uh, mm-hmm. spread out over, over 60 videos. Some people do that in an entire weekend. Other people will take about six weeks to do it. So mm-hmm. it really depends on how, I guess, how much time people have and, and just how committed they are. But I, I always say you've, you've got to get your first 100 trades under your belt. That, mm. that, is, that is like your apprenticeship. Once you've done 100 trades, you, you've kind of got an idea of what sort of mistakes you're making, what's working for you, what isn't, what needs tuning up. And, and really after that first 100 trades is when you can start, I think, setting some returns objectives. Within that first 100, yeah. you are, you're literally learning how to swim. 
Thank you for that benchmark. We we love the numbers. Like if something we can aim for there, and the six week benchmark as well is is um, tangible. Now with uh, the hundred trades, let's say, do you recommend somebody uh, does that live or actually paper trade? I think paper trading has got some value in terms of learning the setups, learning your broker's platform, you know, just learning how to place and monitor place trades and monitor positions. But as soon as you're comfortable with that, I suggest starting with real money, but starting small. Mm-hmm. All right. Don't mm-hmm. start with money that is going to compromise your lifestyle in any way if, if it were lost. And, and that's not because you're likely to lose the money. I mean, if, if you follow our risk management guidelines, you should really avoid any kind of disaster like that. But by trading with a small amount of money, you greatly reduce the emotional burden of trading. And, and that is what really is going to be the undoing of an aspiring trader. Right, right. In your training, do you talk about like what percentage of somebody's income they should start with? Are we talking like a really small amount, like maybe 5%? Yeah, I, I think five um, percent of liquid net worth is is probably a good starting point, and then you'd obviously each trade that you take would be a only a fraction of that as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a sort of amount of money that if, if it if it did go up in smoke, it wouldn't affect your ability to put food on the table or, or you know pay your mortgage or anything like that. And and again, it's not because that money is going to go anywhere or, or, or you're likely to lose it. If you follow our methods, you're very unlikely to lose it. It's just what I always say to people is when you're trading, you've got to maintain an even keel emotionally. If your emotions stray beyond mild contentment to mild disappointment, you're trading too big. And and it takes time to get used to the rushes of emotion that you will feel. It's very normal when when you're new to trading, you put some trades on and everything suddenly starts moving in your favor, you, you start getting excited and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm really good at this. Uh, I've also got a, a no high fives rule. If, if ever you feel like high fiving mm. yourself on how good you are at trading, just go flat. Just, just close all your positions and, and chill out for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, the, the opposite can happen. Yeah, if everything can start moving against you as well. And uh, that could become very frightening. And if you start feeling frightened, you can make all sorts of bad decisions. And trading, you're trying to trade your way out of a hole, over trading, um, putting in more and more and more effort is is not one of those things that tends to work in trading. You really need to kind of be in a flow state. And and if it feels like you're efforting your way out of a a bad position, again, just just go flat, chill out for 24, 48 hours and and reapproach it without that emotional baggage. That's the warning, and this is good for the audience to know, is those horror stories I've seen with people that they, you phrased it brilliantly, which is trade yourself out of a hole. Like I've heard people say, oh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm five grand in, oh, time to double down. I got to get out. And then all of a sudden they're 10 grand and 10 grand turns into 20. And I've heard people like the the cost of a home gone in less wow. than a day, right? And, and that's, it's stuff like that, that was enough in my experience that I'm like, no, I have pretty good emotional control, but I also have a lot of interest outside of sitting at a computer. I have a lot of hobbies and I'm like, I, I love when money's working for me. I just don't want to work for it at a computer looking at charts. Um, and the risks on top of that were enough to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, thanks. Thanks for your thoughts there. Again, I know we circled back to your actual training and information and might uh, might be interesting to look at. But let me continue here. I've got another fun question for you, which is what are the eighth and ninth wonders of the world and how to capitalize on them? So the the eighth wonder of the world is, um, I mean, I didn't come up with this. This was Albert Einstein. He, Mm -hmm. He said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And I guess, you know, back when interest rates were up around seven, eight uh, percent, probably did seem a bit like magic. But um, right now, with interest rates where they are, you, you stick your money in a bank account and you might double your money, what, once every five generations. It's not very exciting. So what do we do in this environment? Well, compounding can still work like magic. And and the, the trick is regular compounding. And And again, it just gets back to that goal of 5% per month. And, and the idea is, you know, you start with, well, just, just to make the math easy, let's say you start with $10,000 and you make 5%. Well, at the end of month one, you've got $10,500. So then all of a sudden, you're making all of your risk decisions based on an account size of $10,500, not $10,000. And what you do each month is you, you reset based on your the net liquidating value, the NLV of your portfolio, and start taking slight, you know, ever so slightly incrementally bigger positions. You're not taking a bigger risk because the risk you take as a percentage of your portfolio is the same. It's just that you're marking your portfolio value every month. And when you do that, um, you, you can compounding really can work like magic. Yeah. The the ninth wonder of the world is uh, I, I did make that one up, and and that's trend following. All right. And and the reason I love trend following is because you are literally putting the wind at your back. Uh, it, it is like pointing your canoe downstream and just paddling with the flow of the river. Um, trends are, when you know how to identify them, they're easy to identify and, and they're easy to exploit. And the other great thing with trends is uh, if, if your position isn't working, you, you tend to know very quickly as well. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. many of the world's greatest traders are trend followers. You know, People like uh, Paul Cheetah Jones, Bruce Kovner, Ed Sequoia, um, mm-hmm. These are sort of luminaries in the in the trading and hedge fund world, and they've all made billions of dollars thanks to trend following. Right, right. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, this is Sean. I just want to say thanks a lot for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for checking out this one. Could you do me a quick favor? If you haven't done so already, could you leave us a five-star rating on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or any other platform you use to listen to podcasts? What this will do is help us rank higher in the uh, podcast search engines, you could say. So that would be much appreciated. Also, if there are any questions you want me to ask the guests or a specific topic you want me to address, please go to our ticker Facebook group. You can leave a comment there and I'd love to hear what you have to say. All right, back to the show. You know, leading up to this bear market and some would um, argue it's a recession as well. Um, either way, it's a major downturn we faced, you know, and, and one thing I'd love to hear your thoughts on, how will the next five years be different than the previous five years? I feel like this moment in time is like yeah. a definitive like uh, turning point, you could say. I, I think you're right. And in a nutshell, we, we've entered a, a new regime of higher economic volatility. All right. So inflation has been front page headline news for, well, really the whole year, right? At first it was transitory and then 
well, it wasn't transitory, but it was all supply lines and then well, it was all Putin's fault, Putin price hike. And, you know, we were still sitting here with, with uh, high inflation. Uh, German inflation figures came out uh, today. I think it was 10.9%. You know, it, it's, a, it's a global problem. And uh, if the 70s are any guide, it, it's not a problem that's going to go away quickly. Uh, there have been people all year trying to catch the peak in inflation. Ah, inflation is peaking. Uh, and and it's I think the problem is people take a, a very simplistic approach. They look at the oil price and they think, well, if the oil price is falling, then inflation is going to fall. But there's obviously a lot more to inflation than just the oil price, right? Um, now, what the Fed is doing is they're trying to crush inflation as quickly as possible, but they've got a very blunt tool, right? Interest rates and, and quantitative tightening. What the Fed is trying to do is just destroy demand as quickly as possible to try and rein in inflation. Mm -hmm. And they've been very upfront in telling us that uh, if a recession is the price that we've got to pay, then so be it. And, and you know, the, the legacy of a, of a Fed governor is going to be measured not by whether he presided over a recession, but whether he presided over a, you know, a prolonged period of very high inflation. So I, I think the big difference is high economic volatility. Yeah, inflation will peak at some point. It's not going to go up forever. But that doesn't necessarily mean very much. Uh, we, we really could be in for five to 10 years of stagflation, I think, which is you know, stagflation is a combination of a stagnant economy and, and high inflation. And we've got a, obviously a, a Federal Reserve that uh, no longer has the markets back. And, and that is a, a big, big difference as well. Uh, you, you sort of talked about recession a second ago. Um, the US economy had two consecutive quarters of declining GDP growth. And uh, ever since Julius Shishkin gave us the definition in 1974, that has been the accepted rule of thumb that defines a recession. And there's been a lot of a lot of gaslighting uh, mm -hmm. recently about, oh, it's it's not really a recession because we're still at full employment. But um, you know, technically, it's a recession. Right. Uh, and for a lot of people out there, it, it, it I know it feels like a recession. Yeah. And um, it looks like it's uh, it, it's far from over. So going back to your stagflation comments, I know that I could be wrong on this, but isn't high unemployment also a factor in that as well? Well, it normally is. And this is this is what's been really screwing with people's heads this cycle. Yeah. We've had declining GDP, we've got high inflation, but we've also still got quite unquote full employment. You know, the unemployment rate's three and a half percent. And it's I, th I think it's just a feature of this cycle. You know, every cycle is slightly different. History doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Uh, and, and in history rhyming, there, there are always slight differences. And that's one thing that the Fed has said is a real concern. Unemployment is too low. Labor markets are too tight. And, and what we're seeing now is, is a wage price spiral. Mm, yes, very true. Very true. Yeah. You know, I was, I was talking to somebody, I was on another podcast earlier this week, and we're talking about how this recession or, or downturn in the market really relates to, in my opinion, very similar to the early 80s, the, the, the global recession, I think it was called. And in that case, there was high unemployment. Um, in this case, we have lower unemployment. Um, here's a question for you on that. Do you think because of the lower unemployment, um, we can get out of this a little faster? Or do you think that really doesn't matter? Well, the Fed have told us that unemployment is too low. 
All right. There's this thing called the NERU, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. I know it sounds like a mouthful, uh, but they, they reckon the NERU is, is somewhere around five, five and a half percent. All right. So it looks as though they want to get the unemployment rate from three and a half to call it five percent, which doesn't sound overly dramatic, but it still means millions of people are going to lose their jobs, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the only way the Fed can see to rein in inflation by reducing yeah. demand for, for goods and services. Right, right. You know, and I do agree with your comments that, you know, this is not going to sustain forever. We will get out of this. I know the homework I did, and, and you've been in this industry longer than I have, but I looked at the last, you know, 19 bear markets and the average length is about nine months. Now we're over that right now, um, but like that great global recession, if you will, or global recession in the early 80s, that was about two years I was looking at, uh, give or take. And then I think uh, dot-com bust, that was about two years just over, yeah. right? You know, the, the great recession, that was a little shorter based on my homework there, but still it's like, okay, so let's say we set expectations and say, we're going to be in this two years. No big deal. We can survive that. We survived it before. Yeah. We can get out of this again. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I'm certainly not here to uh, preach gloom and doom or, or right. try and frighten anybody. Uh, but, but by the same token, we, you know, we need to be, we need to be realistic as well. And you know, forewarned right. is forearmed, as they say. Right, right. Well, this has been great. I want to transition to the rapid fire round here in a moment. But was there a question that I did not ask and should have asked? Um, no, I, I think uh, I think you've asked some great questions. All right, certainly All talked right. about yeah uh, you know, the main things I love talking about. Yeah, the and and I do like touching on especially um, the market at the moment. Especially you work for you know Goldman Sachs large company and you have a lot of great experience in this industry especially around commodities and you're you're closer to the trends than i am i'm more of a long-term value investor I, I love looking at businesses i really get into the the four m's the the margin of safety then you get the meeting modes and management um, i love that kind of stuff so your strategy is a, a little different but i do respect it but uh, so it's really good to hear your perspective especially when you put a, a lens over how the, the market is right now so thank you for that insight my pleasure all right let's dive into the rapid fire round this is the part of the episode where we get to find out who simon really is if you can try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less you ready let's go all right what is your favorite podcast my favorite podcast, look, I've, I'm going to say the Joe Rogan experience. Um, martial arts have been a part of my life for mm -hmm. a, a long time. I'm a Jeet Kune Do instructor. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think he gets a, a great bunch of guests on that uh, tend to appeal to me. Nice. I The thing I like about Joe, I don't listen to his podcast a lot, but I do catch clips on YouTube is he is a good listener. Like I like when he asks a question, he just sits there and, and lets them talk. And, and there's some guests and, and there's other podcasts, they like to get their word in mid-sentence and then it can deviate from the point. And next thing you know, you're on a different topic. So he's, he's a good listener. Yeah. Um, what is a recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, the, the book that I've, it's a book that I've, I've reread recently, actually, and that's Trading in the Zone by, by Mark Douglas. 
And uh, to me, this is the the one book that uh, I've probably given away as a gift more often than any other book, uh, other than perhaps my own. Uh, but Mark Douglas, he, he talks about in trading in the zone, uh, trading psychology, how, how to really conquer the, the mental game of trading. And uh, to me, it is just the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, I, I recently downloaded the Audible version of it as well. And, and somehow having the book read to you, you, you kind of glean different insights as well. So that would sure. be... Yeah, that, that would be the one. Sure. Good. Good recommendation. All right. What's your favorite movie? Uh, I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. Really? All right. Yeah. Tarantino classic. Yeah. It just, uh, I'd, I'd never seen a movie like that before it came along. And yeah, it, it just had elements of uh, action and humor and just you know, what what the hell's going on. Yes. And, you know, the, the way it brought back John Travolta's career. Uh, yeah, there were many things I loved about the movie. Yeah, yeah. Love your quick analysis there. You're spot on. Um, <laughs> all right, let's transition to some uh, business-related questions. What is the the worst business or investment advice you've ever received? Um, probably the, the worst advice, and it, and it was very well-intentioned, was go to uni, get a degree, work hard and just 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 get a good job and just work hard in your job and just stay there and you know you work hard your company will look after you <laughs> i love it all right let's flip that equation what is the best business or investment advice you ever received um believe in yourself make it happen yeah, yeah good one and uh, you know it's something that i i probably struggled with as a, as a young man, just, just lack of self-belief, lack of self-confidence in many regards. And, um, it's just, yeah, I, I think, um, just having that encouragement to, to back yourself is, is something that perhaps I was missing early on and that I, I wished I'd, I'd had more of when I was younger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, and last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd go back to probably my 18-year-old self, and, and I would say, take more risk. You know, don't don't be such a pussy. Get out there and, and take more risk. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think that yeah, one of the other things I love about trading is it, it teaches people to identify risks worth taking and, and also how to manage them. And I think that that's a skill that is, is invaluable in life as well. Uh, and, and I think, you know, when you're young, that is the time to try stuff because if you screw it up, you're young enough to reinvent yourself and, and, and do it all over. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those windows of opportunity get smaller and smaller and smaller as, as we get older. So, uh, yeah, that, that would be the, the advice I'd give to my 18-year-old self. Take more risk. Sure, sure. I love it. I love your response there. That's brilliant. Well, this has been great, Simon. What I want to do now is have you tell us where can you find your book and then tell us the name of your website. Sure. So my book is on Amazon and it's called The Tao of Trading. That's spelled T-A-O-O-F-T-R-A-D-I-N-G. And my online education company is the same name. Um, It's the, The Tao of Trading. And what I've done, I've got a, a special offer for your audience. If they head over to www.daoftrading, so that's T-A-O-O-F-T-R-A-D-I-N-G.com forward slash payback, uh, they'll be able to download the first chapter of my book for free and uh, get involved with some of my educational programs at a, a pretty hefty discount. 
Nice. We'll make sure we do promote that on our site and then uh, that'll be syndicated through social media as well. So excellent, Simon. Thank you so much for your time. Love your background. Love your, uh, your context here on options trading and the market. It's been a real pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you. Cheers. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest's story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.